Okay, it's good to see you this morning, everybody. Uh, if you are sitting, would you stand one more time? And uh, as we prepare to open the scriptures this morning, what we do here is we locate this moment inside of the faith of the church. The church has been saying these words for 1,700 years, the words of the ancient Nicene Creed. It teaches who God is and what the story is that we are in. So let's say it together with faith in our hearts. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you agree with that, say... You may be seated. Uh, before we get started this morning, i got to point out some friends in the room this morning. Uh, Jess and Jonah Baker and their kids and Tony Hornsby, would you guys stand? And we're all going to give you a big hand. Can you guys stand over here? So these guys were part of our church in Denver before Mandy and I actually got out there. And so we've known them now for, golly, I think it's been 13 or so years. And they're here visiting us this morning. You guys can have a seat. But Tony in particular, I just wanted to point out. Man, just thinking about building a church together, Tony is one of those guys, a week in and week out guy who just delivered on everything that we needed as a church. I remember one time as a staff, we were thinking like, man, we've got so many volunteers who just, they serve every week. And like, you can't just serve every week, can you? You have to like, you have to take weeks off sometimes. And so we mandated that all of our volunteers take at least one week off per month. And Tony was like, I don't think so. And still he was there setting up chairs and tearing down. And the church moves forward on people like you. So Jess and Jonah and Tony, we love you. Thank you for all of your efforts. Give them a hand again. Uh, we're continuing our series through the book of Proverbs this morning. And we're talking about how do you deal uh, with difficult People, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever known somebody that you would describe as difficult? Kathleen, your hand went up way too fast back there, way too fast. How many of you are sitting next to somebody that you might describe? Don't, Kathleen, don't. Yeah, I'm not trying to mess up anybody's Sunday afternoon, but we know these people, you know. They make your life complicated in unnecessary ways. And one of the things that Proverbs is trying to do for us is Proverbs is trying to help us see the world with increasingly complexified vision so that we're not just lumping all kinds of people together and treating them the same way, but Proverbs, in a manner of speaking, is giving us different species of individuals that we run into, and it's giving us instructions for how we see and how we relate to them. I remember when our kids were little uh, and just starting to talk a little bit, uh, if it had four legs and a tail and was furry, what did they call it? You probably had kids and they did the same thing. What do you call it? It's a puppy, right? It's a puppy. And for the line, it's so cute. And we love it, you know, when they're starting to talk and it's a puppy and everything's a puppy, right? Until they run into like another small animal, furry, four legs and a tail. And that's not a puppy anymore, is it? What is that? That's a, that's a kitty. And they're very similar to one another, but there are some crucial differences between them. Maybe the most crucial difference between them is that 
the dog loves you and the cat is just using you. And if you remember, yeah, and I can say this because I own both. And I've looked into the eyes of that cat and I know that it's using me. That's fine. We'll keep feeding her. Four eyes, it's in the Bible. You know, four legs and a tail and it's furry. And you got to, like, you need different language to distinguish between these things. Or you go to the zoo, you know, four legs and a face and a tail and it's a kitty. No, it's not a, a kitty. That's a baboon. Do baboons have tails? I don't know. I'm not... Yeah, but, you know, that's important. There's a different set of rules, right, for dealing with the baboon and dealing with the kitty and dealing with the dog. You have to be wise about these things. And in Proverbs, there are lots of different categories of individuals. And when we think about dealing with difficult people, maybe the most obvious category of person to wrestle with in Proverbs is the category of the fool. The fool. The fool is a person that makes people's lives pretty complicated. So what we're going to do is I did a little survey of all the verses in Proverbs that talk about the fool and tried to distill them into some categories that will help us identify who the fool is and then think about how we behave towards them rightly. So, Lord, here we are in your presence, and we are grateful. We are grateful for your goodness that brought us here. We're grateful to be breathing. We're grateful that the blood is still pumping through our veins. We're grateful that there are new mercies that are meeting us every morning. The psalmist, or actually the writer of Lamentations, Jeremiah, said that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And as we meet that faithfulness, we come alive to the announcement of God that the life that we live is good and you have created us good and you're calling us towards redemption and you're calling us sons and daughters of the living God. And so we want to hear those things this morning. We pray that as we open the scriptures, as we search them, that wisdom and insight would leap off the page and you'd help us live more fully as your people. Grant that we're praying. Spirit, come and rest on us in these moments. Help me speak clearly. Help us hear with open hearts and a willingness to obey all that you have said. Grant that the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Let's jump right in. Uh, How do you identify a foolish person, a person that's trying to make your life difficult and complicated? Uh, First identifier for the foolish person in Proverbs is that foolish people despise wisdom and instruction. Foolish people despise wisdom and instruction. They are impervious to insight. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple. Everybody say simple. Just real quick, the assumption of the book of Proverbs is that we all start out as simpletons, okay? And we need to be instructed in the ways of wisdom. And depending on how we respond to wisdom and instruction, that determines the kind of person that we eventually become. So it's no crime to be simple, okay? But it's what we do with wisdom and instruction when it comes along. That's kind of the dividing line between wisdom and folly. And so uh, this gives prudence to those who are simple and knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and they add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the very beginning of knowledge, but what do fools do? They despise wisdom and instruction. And so fools are impervious to insight from the outside. Fools are a law unto themselves. Fools are kind of a universe unto themselves. They don't want to hear instruction from the outside. They don't want people to teach them anything. They assume that they already have all that they need. And that is both their destruction and for those that are close to them. It's also ours, as we're going to see in a little bit. Psalm 14.1, the psalmist agrees with this perspective. The fool says in his heart, But there's no God. They're corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There's no one who does good. So the fool is trying to block out any necessity to be responsible to something beyond themselves, okay? 
And the idea of God is an intrusion upon the fool's self-made universe. So the fool says in his heart, even if they don't say it with their lips, the fool is saying with their heart that there is no God. Proverbs one twenty two. how long will you are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate what? Knowledge. Proverbs 12.15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. There it is again. Fools are pushing out advice and instruction. Proverbs 18.2, fools find no pleasure in what? Understanding, but they delight in, what does it say? Airing their own, they're just idiots who love the sound of their own voices, okay? Those are, those are fools. And so fools, like what's the first like distinguishing characteristic of a fool? How do you know when you got a difficult person on your hands? Well, it might be that they're impervious to wisdom and instruction. No matter how hard you try to get them to see the error of their ways, they just won't do it, right? What they really want is to listen to themselves talk, which gets into the second distinguishing characteristic of the fool, number two, that the mouths of fools always give them away. Even if for a time they manage to be quiet, at some point they're going to open their mouths and you're going to see what's really going on with them. Proverbs 10 and verse 8. The wise in heart do what? They accept commands. See, wisdom is open to things beyond itself, a distinguishing mark of wisdom. And that also is an evidence of humility, for the truly humble are also truly wise. So the wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool, what? It comes to ruin. All the wheels are falling apart for this person just blabbing all the time. Proverbs 12 and verse 23. Think about this one. The prudent actually keep their knowledge to themselves, but a heart's fool blurts out folly. We said this in a previous message, but one of the things about wise people is that they're so oriented towards what is true and right that they're very circumspect in what they say, which is very opposite of what you would think. You would think that the more wisdom you have, the more you would speak. But actually, the more wisdom you have, the more you realize how unwise you are. So you speak very little. So the prudent keep their knowledge to themselves. But a fool's heart, like the last person in Proverbs that should be talking is the one who's what? But they're talking the most. The fool's heart blurts out folly. Proverbs 15.2, the tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Proverbs 18.6 and 7, the, fool, the lips of fools bring them... Think about that. And I'm sure you know people just like this. Like every time they open their mouths, all of a sudden a fight ensues. Okay, if you have a person like that, you might have a fool on your hands. Okay. The lips of the fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. So the fool's mouth is always going to give them away. They're going to spout their foolishness. They're going to spout their nonsense. And probably there's going to be a lot of fighting and a lot of clamor around them as they do, which gets to the third distinguishing mark of the fool. How do you know if you've got a fool on your hands? Number three, and this is important. A fool always, everybody say always, always leaves a trail of destruction in their wake. You don't have to look very far to see a mess around a fool. Proverbs 10 and verse 23, the fool finds pleasure, think about this, in wicked schemes. Can you imagine that? Being the kind of person that wakes up in the morning and the delight of your soul is thinking about how much villainy you can do in life, okay? There are people like this. And so the hearts of the fools, they find pleasure in wicked schemes, but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. Proverbs 14.1, a wise woman or a wise man builds their house, but with their own hands, what do foolish people do? They tear them down. So there's this destruction is all around them. Proverbs 17 and verse 12, better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs. Now, this has never happened to me, but I assume that's bad. <laughs> like that bear back there, you know. It would be better to meet that bear robbed of her cubs. Is it a boy or a girl? We just don't know. We'll talk to the authorities here. Ask them. That would be good to ask them. Better to meet a bear robbed of their cubs than a fool who is bent on folly. Think about that. Better to meet a wild animal bent on revenge 
than a fool determined to do foolish things. You stand a better shot with the bear than with the fool of coming out safe. Proverbs 26, 9, and I love this one because this rings so true to life. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of the fool. Have you met people like this? Like even when you give them something good, something true, something beautiful, something wise, you can put the very word of God in their hands and they bend it and they twist it in such a way that it actually becomes a source of pain and destruction for other people. Guys, the hearts of the fools are bent on folly and because of that, they leave a trail of destruction in their wake. So first characteristic, impervious, right, to wisdom and instruction. Second, their mouths give them away. Three, destruction all around them. And if you know somebody like this, you've got a fool on your hands. And the fool, I think, in the scriptures represents both a central frustration and a central temptation on the path to holiness. Both a central frustration and a central temptation on the path to holiness. I've encountered many fools, many difficult people in my life. One of the first and most significant was when I was in junior high. I think I've told you about this guy before. He'll remain, I'm going to, you know, we'll make him like anonymous. I'm going to call him Nathan. And Nathan, I swear, he was like, it was like he was put on this earth to make my life miserable. You know, like some people wake up in the morning and they have 15 minutes maybe of devotional time, center themselves, become wise, purify their hearts and all of that. I, God is my witness, this kid must have spent his 15 minutes in the morning thinking about how he was going to make my life a living hell. And he did. It was like every time I was just, I could not avoid him. And every time I was around him, he said something or did something. It's just like, what? Leave me alone. And I, I knew, I knew that I had a fool on my hands when one day I was working on some algebra homework and he came by and he said, what are you working on there? And I said, uh, I said, I'm working on the algebra assignment that our teacher gave us. And he said, and this is to my, uh, to my great discredit, I did this. He said, well, can I see it? And I'd like an idiot, you know, I hand my homework over to him and he takes one look at it and he crumpled it up in a little ball and he put it in his mouth. And he chewed it up and he ate it. Who does stuff like that? It's like I didn't know whether to be angry or have pity on this man. What is the matter with you? Why would you do that? And we know people like this. It's like you are, you are screwed up in the mind, man. And I did genuinely believe that when eighth grade was over and we moved in our separate directions that I would get to ninth grade and 10th grade and 11th grade and there would be no more Nathan in my life and yet he had this funny way of like he just kept reappearing in high school all of a sudden he shows up and I thought well I just fine I just need to finish up high school you know and get to college and then I go off to college and he's at college and then graduate school and gosh and there he is in graduate school and I got my first job and what, what, how, how, how are you at this job? And of course, it wasn't really him, was it? It was that you don't ever graduate from the fools of life. They're everywhere, aren't they? And I'm sure that when you look back over your own life, you can mark at every stage and every moment there was somebody like this. So we're going to have to figure out how to deal with these people because it turns out that they're like a permanent fixture of human existence. And they do represent some central temptations. For us, one of the great temptations I do think that we face with regard to the fool is that we try to fix the fool by treating the fool better than they deserve. I want to be real careful in how I say this because we are Christians. We are followers of the Lord Jesus and we believe in grace. And grace is that unmerited favor of God. God treats us better than we deserve, right? And it's the very kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So I do think that we're called to be good and kind to fools, but sometimes our goodness and our kindness to fools can lead us to do foolish things. And we don't have time to get into it this morning, but you might, when the sermon is over at some point this week, read Proverbs chapter 26. It's absolutely fascinating chapter and has some wonderful insight on how to deal with a fool. And one of the things that it will say is that there are two things that you should not do, at least two things that you should not do with a fool. One 
do not give honor to them when honor is not deserved, okay? Because what you're doing with the fool then is you're attaching your name and your reputation to the fool. And when the fool acts as the fool is bound to act, whose name is going to be drugged through the mud? Yours, along with theirs. So don't you give honor to a fool. Secondly, Proverbs chapter 26 says, like a person shooting firebrands and deadly arrows is one who hires a fool or any passerby. So if you've got an enterprise that's a significant enterprise, uh, don't get yourself all tangled up with a fool. You better find a way to do a good assessment of their character before you bring them into your life. The New Testament language for this would be don't be unequally yoked, right? What you don't want to do out of your compassion for the fool or your desire to change the fool is get yourself unequally yoked with a fool. Are you tracking with me this morning? So don't yoke yourself to foolish people. That's a minimum, okay? That's at a minimum with the fool. But I do think that there are other temptations with the fool. And one of those temptations is that because the fool is such a foolish person and they're making such a mess in life, what we want to do is we want to intervene in the foolishness of the foolish person in some way because we just cannot bear to see them continue to spout off the way that they're spouting off or to see them continue to ruin things the way that they're ruining things. And that is where we start to flirt with disaster if we're not careful. Check this out, Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 4. The writer of Proverbs, well aware of the peril of the fool, says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Have you ever experienced this before? Somebody just saying something stupid, right? Some political argument on Facebook, or somebody is saying something that's just blasphemous or irreligious or whatever, and you decide to go after them, right? And what winds up happening? You wind up looking like as much of an idiot as them. Elsewhere in Proverbs, it says that if a wise person goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs and there is no peace. There's not really any good way to talk to a fool without getting yourself in trouble. And Proverbs knows that. So Proverbs 26.4, don't answer a fool. Everybody say, don't answer a fool. Don't answer a fool according to his folly or you will be just like him. But then look at verse 5 here. Oh, yes, the Bible. Whatever will we do with it? Answer a fool <laughs> according to his folly or he will be wise in his own. Don't you feel like sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you're a little bit like, it maybe needed a better editor. Like, which one are we supposed to do? And I think that's where Proverbs is like, exactly. <laughs> you have to find some way of answering the fool according to their folly so that they're not wise in their own eyes. And you have to do it in such a way that you're not exactly answering the fool strictly according to their folly so that you don't ultimately become like them themselves. It's very difficult. we got to exercise a certain measure of caution when dealing with these difficult people, or else we wind up getting ourselves ensnared. So the question is, what really are we supposed to do with these difficult people? What are we supposed to do with fools? Because we're not getting away from them, and they are everywhere. And I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn over to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25. Of course, the Proverbs are written by King Solomon, and Solomon's dad, King David, knew a thing or two about dealing with fools. And when we pick up the action here in 1 Samuel 25, uh, David has been anointed king. You might remember the story, uh, but Saul, King Saul, was very angry and insecure and frightened at this. And so Saul tries to kill David, and David flees. And as David flees from King Saul, eventually a group of 400 or so men gather around him. And so they're sort of roaming the Judean countryside, uh, waiting for Saul to deconstruct so that David can eventually take the kingship. And as they're doing that, as they're roaming the Judean countryside, they happen to take care of and protect a lot of shepherds and farmers and people. They're doing good as they're out and about. And here in 1 Samuel 25, David and his men are passing through the fields and the vineyards, the territory belonging to a man named Nabal. Everybody say Nabal. 
Now, Nabal is a Hebrew word that the writer of Proverbs actually uses. And you know what that word means? It means fool. Who are these parents? You know what I mean? (laughs) You imagine like holding your child in your arms and going, this one's going to be an idiot. (laughs) What should we name him, Mama? You got to name him idiot, right? (laughs) Must have been something about him. Early on, they named him Nabal. We did, I was telling the first service, we did child dedications this morning. And so if you name your kid Nabal, I will not dedicate it. I'm going to leverage the power of my pastoral office until you change that name to something better like, I don't know, Abigail or Tim or something. But Nabal is, he's really, he represents the fool in the Bible. He's an arch fool. And David and his men come through. It's about the time of the great festivals in Israel. And they ask Nabal for a few sheep or goats so that they can celebrate and worship the Lord. And Nabal just acts like David has never done him any favors. He really rebuffs David, and it's a great insult. And David is furious. You ever have one of those moments with fools where you're just like this close to flying off the handle? And we pick up the action here in verse 20. Nabal's wife, Abigail, now is about to intercede with David and plead with David not to do something rash to the fool Nabal. Look down at verse 20. And as Abigail came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, There were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. And David had just said, It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. And may God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. David is so furious that he's about to annihilate Nabal and all the men, all the males in Nabal's Household. And when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground. And she fell at his feet and she said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. He means fool and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I didn't see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, And as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you, my Lord, be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to you, my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive, she goes on, your servant's presumption. And listen to this. And I want you to think about your own life and your experience in light of what Abigail says here. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will ever be found in you as long as you live. And even though someone now is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. And when the Lord has fulfilled from my Lord... Every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over all Israel. My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. Do you hear what Abigail is saying to David? David, your destiny is secure. David. Your steps have been ordered by the Lord. David, the anointing has fallen on you. David, the kingship belongs to you. But you are this close right now with this fool to making a mistake that will haunt you for the rest of your life. You're going to annihilate this guy. And when you finally take the kingship, you'll have on your conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. But she's not only saying, David, you're taken care of. She's also saying, David, Nabal is not your responsibility. Who does Nabal belong to? God. And the God who is protecting your life right now is perfectly capable of dealing with Nabal and dealing with Saul and dealing with every other wicked fool out there 
who is mistreating you, brothers and sisters. I'm saying to you this morning that part of your responsibility and your task as God's people is to just keep going on your way. And not to get distracted by the wicked fools that are out there trying to make everybody's lives miserable. And do you know what happens? You know what the conclusion to this story is? Abigail goes back and reports to Nabal how David responded to her entreaty. And do you know what happens to Nabal? He has a heart attack and he dies. (laughs) David, Nabal is in God's hands. Don't get distracted from the journey by this wicked fool. And I'm saying that that is a word to you and to me this morning. We are called not to rush out and to try to change all of the foolish people of the world. Because you know what the truth is? They're not changing. (laughs) And if they are, they're going to change the only way that any of us ever change, which is via an act of God. It will take God getting into the hearts of foolish people to change them. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to give ourselves over to God and to keep doing the next right thing and to trust that God's going to take care of all the people around us. Think about what the psalmist says in the first psalm, the psalm that is the cornerstone of the entire Psalter. Blessed is the man, do you know it, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or, think about it, stand in the way of sinners or wicked fools. What's going to happen if they stand directly in the way of wicked fools? Mutually assured destruction. (laughs) So the righteous person doesn't do that. They don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. They don't stand in the way of sinners, nor do they sit in the seat of mockers. Okay, but what do they do instead? Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law they meditate day and night. They are so immersed in their own journey of faithfulness to God that they barely even take notice of the foolish people around them. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law they meditate day and night. We're not leaving a lot of room at this point to meditate on other things, are we? And they are like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields fruits in due season, and whose leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers, but not so the wicked, says the psalmist. They are like chaff that the wind blows away, and therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, what? Think about it. The psalmist starts out talking about these wicked people, reshapes the behavior of righteous persons around these wicked people, counsels them to keep drawing life straight up from the source and to give themselves over to the meditation of holy things, beautiful things. And the promise is that if the righteous will do that, at the end of their lives, they will look up and all of those wicked fools who were making their lives miserable or trying to, where are they? They're nowhere to be found. That's the invitation. To trust not only our lives, but the lives of all of those people out there that are trying to ruin us, to entrust them to God too because God knows what he's doing with them just like he knows what he's doing with us. But I think that this is also not just a word for us as individuals. I think that this is a word for us as the church living in a foolish time. One of the things that I see constantly is the church giving away the beauty of her witness because we think that it's our obligation to change everybody's minds about everything. It's not. It's not. We're called to bear witness to what is good and true and beautiful and to trust that God is capable of changing people's minds. But if we run out after every foolish thing, if we run out 
after every idiotic idea and try to respond and shape our witness around all of that, do you know what winds up happening? We mar our own witness. We reshape the message around the foolishness. And I don't think that's the responsibility of the church. I want to invite you here into a little moment. I'll invite you here to close your eyes and just kind of settle in. When I think about the call of the church in a world filled with foolishness, this is what I think about. After that, you know, good grief. You know who wrote that? Bach. Do you know how old that is? 350 years old. But it doesn't matter, does it? Because good things last. True things last. Beautiful things last. We're called to give ourselves over to good things and to true things and to beautiful things because they last, brothers and sisters. And do you know what I notice about music? I guess, and I listen to music, I guess, all the time. I'll go on these long walks down the path by my house when I just need to recollect my sanity. And I'll listen to Bach, and it awakens something so, it awakens passion in me and love in me. And, I'm Pentecostal, so I'll start speaking in tongues while I'm listening to Bach, you know. Just something comes alive in me. But do you know what I notice about music like this? It's not in an argument with all of the ugly music of our day, is it? Why? Because it doesn't need to be. Beautiful things are their own justification. True things are their own justification. Wise things are their own justification. And they're just, at some point, when you're absorbed in what is good and true and beautiful, there just isn't a lot of time to get involved in the inane arguments of our day. You can't be distracted. And do you know who played this piece of Bach? Do you know who this is? It's Yo-Yo Ma. Do you know when he started learning this? When he was four. Four years old, he absorbed himself in the music 
of Bach, and he would learn three or four bars a day, memorize them, and then go back the next day and repeat what he had learned and try to add three or four more bars until he had finally memorized, think about this, two hours and 15 minutes of music. And now he'll sit on stages and play for thousands of people without a shred of sheet music in front of him. How do you do that? Well, I think it's something like this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night, and he's like a tree planted by the streams of water, yielding fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers, but not so the wicked. They're like chaff, and the wind's going to blow it away. And therefore, the wicked won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord is watching over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Lose yourself in the beauty of God. And God will take care of all the ugliness of the world. Can we stand this morning? Lord Jesus, here we are. Now come. Come. Reshape our hearts. Reshape our love. Reshape our affection. Reshape our desire so that we desire, so that we delight in what's wise and what's good. And we remember as we come to this moment that the writer of Proverbs, for as much as they heap judgment upon the fool, the writer of Proverbs also knows that one who is wise in their own eyes is actually worse off than the fool. So for us to stand in this place and think that we're better than all those people that are making our lives difficult is actually the height of folly, and the fool stands a better shot than we do. So we're not going to do that. We're going to come and empty ourselves before you. We're going to come and fall at your feet, and we're going to make this our prayer of repentance. Say it with me, brothers and sisters. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, granted, to the glory of your name. Now, brothers and sisters, the scripture declares that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you can receive that, the forgiveness that is offered to us who also have been wicked fools at times. If you can receive that, would you give God praise this morning? We're going to sing this song of worship in response and then Pastor Colin is going to lead us to the table.
Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Do that now. Jesus, we thank you. At the crucifixion, there was a fool that was present. A mocker said, if you really are the son of God, who was in paradise with Jesus that day was the one who just received this. The one who said, I need that. Would you choose to be that person today who holds these elements in your hands and say, I receive this. The gift of Jesus, the body that was broken for you. You hold the bread up. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he took the bread after he broke it and he broke the bread together. He said, receive this. It's a gift for you. Would you receive the bread together? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you eat the bread and gather, would you do this in remembrance of me? This is the cup that covers a multitude of sins. Would you receive the cup together? God, would you give us discernment 
way to feel your Holy Spirit flowing through us, Jesus. Help us know when to rebuke, when to walk away, when to set healthy boundaries. The only way we can do this, Lord, is with your Holy Spirit in us. Fill us, Jesus. Let's respond in doxology. This moment is a moment of benediction and blessing, not normally a moment of warning, but I do feel like I need to put a warning in front of somebody, maybe a couple people, that you hear this message and you go, oh, I know what I'm going to say to so-and-so now. Yeah. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a sermon in the mouth of a fool, okay? If you weaponize this, you're a wicked fool. Don't go there. Walk in humility. Walk in humility. Walk in humility. Can you open your hands? As you go from this place, brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. If you're new, see us at Connect Central. We'd love to connect with you, meet you. Uh, Do you know it's monsoon season right now in Colorado? This is true. You can look this up. So just stay dry in those monsoons out there, guys, and we'll see you next Sunday.